you know, I, I'm not one of these people who just sits down and reads through case reports and says this UFO event happened on this date, craft was this size. Uh, I like people. I love people. I love listening and I love hearing stories. Uh, so I take a very human approach to what I do. It's not just about what someone saw, but how it affected them Absolutely. on so many different levels. And I think that's what really led to a lot of the opportunities you mentioned is that human approach I take um, and just the the kind of human nature to all of this. We look at it as something alien, but when it comes down to it, I honestly believe these phenomena that people are observing and encountering says more about us than it actually does the phenomena itself. Right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome to Higher Journeys. I am your host, Alexis Brooks. If it is your first time here, I especially give you a hearty welcome. Well, today I'm going to welcome a hearty welcome to my first time guest, Ryan Sprague, who I'm looking at right now, all the way over in Scotland. Ryan, I am so delighted to finally have you here. And just so you know, Journeyers, Ryan and I have as you said, Ryan, we're like ships that have passed in the night. I believe that we may have met now that I'm looking into those eyes of yours at one of one of the UFO conferences somewhere. But nonetheless, this is the first time we've officially come together. We're both podcasters. We're doing our thing in the UFO space, and we're going to be talking about it today. So without further ado, welcome, my friend. And I'm going to call you that, my friend, to higher dreams. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I feel like we've been friends for many lifetimes at this point. So it no, well be. it's, uh, it's my honor. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, as I said offline, you are really doing the thing. You are really, when we talk about people in the UFO community, and there are quite a few of us now, and it's growing, you, and I'm going to say in your young years, I know you say I'm not as young as I may look, <laughs> as you think, <laughs> but this is a man, and you know, I, I rarely do this, Ryan, but I'm going to go ahead and just read the bio, because this bio is truly impressive, and then I want to dig a little bit deeper into how you got so entrenched in this field that we call ufology. You are a series regular, let's start there, on Ancient Aliens on the History Channel and Beyond the Unknown on the Travel Channel. You're also a lead investigator and co-host of the hit CW series, Mysteries Decoded. You are the author. Now listen to this, you guys. The author of the best-selling book, Somewhere in the Skies, A Human Approach to the UFO Phenomenon, which was recently implemented as required reading for college courses at Webster University and Mercyhurst University. You're the creator and co-host of Somewhere in the Skies podcast, which hit number one on Apple Podcasts in 2019. And you were awarded the best UFO podcast in 21, 2021 and 2022 of the Paranormal Podcast Awards. Now, I could go on. You know what? I'm going to. Because what I'm looking at here, <laughs> this is crazy. The research that you have done finds you interviewing witnesses, scientists, military personnel, intelligence officials directly on UFOs, writing for the tech science news site, The Debrief, speaking on UFOs, which you've done on ABC, Fox News, 7 News Australia, which I saw. I saw that bit. That was great. And uh, you've also been featured on various documentaries and in Newsweek and the New York Post and Vice. Can I stop there? L <laughs> listen, no, I, I can't remember the last time I read a bio word for word, but when I read it, I was just so impressed. And again, you know, look, this isn't a, about just impressing with the cover story. It's about the, the richness of what we're covering. But the fact that you're right. covering something so elusive and you've been able to plunge into the depths of this and get the attention of the people that I just rattled off here. What do you have to say about all that? That's, that's just fabulous stuff. <laughs> that's extremely kind of you. Um, well, you know, and it took me a long time to build that resume. It, it truly did. Um, I've been studying and investigating UFOs since I was 13 years old. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I would say I started my podcast back in 2016 when all of those opportunities you just mentioned really started to come up. And this was also around the time when UFOs became, um, you know, ostensibly mainstream and the entire world was talking about a topic that many of us for so many years were talking about on the fringes, but now it was out front. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time and doing the right kind of ufology. Um, you know, I, I'm not one of these people who just 
sits down and reads through case reports and says this UFO event happened on this date, craft is this size. Uh, I like people. I love people. I love listening and I love hearing stories. Uh, so I take a very human approach to what I do. It's not just about what someone saw, but how it affected them Absolutely. on so many different levels. And I think that's what really led to a lot of the opportunities you mentioned is that human approach I take um, and just the the kind of human nature to all of this. We look at it as something alien, but when it comes down to it, I honestly believe these phenomena that people are observing and encountering says more about us than it actually does the phenomena itself. So um, I guess that's kind of my long-winded answer as to that uh, that that question, Alexis. <laughs> it's 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 a very very succinct answer, frankly, and I'm smiling because if you've listened to any of my stuff. Uh, and in talking about the subject, you'll know, as the journeyers know, that this is, to me, first and foremost, about the human experience and what I continue to call a symbiosis that I feel intuitively exists between us and whatever else we're interacting with, despite the fact that we don't yet know exactly what that is. So I've heard you say that before, and now I know why I feel comfortable in calling you a friend, because I feel exactly the same way. I've said yeah. many times, this is not for me about lights in the sky. It's not about the mechanistic, although there's, an, you know, it's intriguing. All, all aspects of this are intriguing, but it's the human experience. And what I, as I say many times, we got skin in the game. We need to understand this enigma to an extent where we can understand more about ourselves. So, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Well, not unlike most I won't say most, I'll say many of us that are in this field or that have found ourselves in this field, it can often start with our own experience of which you had. So I'd love for you to talk about that. I know you've talked about it before, 12 years old in New York while fishing. Talk about what happened there and, and your response to, your your emotional response to uh, what happened. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you for asking. Um, I had an experience when I was 12. Uh, it was 1995. And I was in central New York and my parents would take me and my sister away on these like, you know, weekend getaways to uh, the St. Lawrence River, which is a body of water that actually is on the border of New York state and on the right on the other side is Canada. So it was pretty cool. You know, on the New York side, we could just wave across the river to our Canadian friends. And um, I loved fishing and I also loved uh Green Day, the band Green Day. So this is back in 95. And I distinctly remember uh, having my portable CD player blasting Green Day and just fishing all day long. And um, that particular night, it was turning dark. So I was, you know, packing up for the night, reeling my line in. And that's when I saw these lights actually in the water and it caught my attention. So I reel my line in, I take my headphones off and I kind of like get down on this dock that I'm fishing off of to look in the water um, at what I thought was in the water, uh, but then realized it was a reflection. So I flip over on my back and I'm just staring up at the, the sky. And um, that was when my life changed. I saw three distinct white lights in an equilateral triangle. And there was a hazy red orange light in the middle. Uh, it was a formation, which I like to make clear to people. I didn't see a structured craft or machinery, uh, but it was a perfect triangle. Uh, I could not see stars or anything behind the formation, mm -hmm. so I assumed it was solid. And uh, it just floated effortlessly, silently over my head. And um, <sighs> I, I, I didn't know what to make of it. I, I didn't know what I was looking at. I and you called scared. your father and right, or you brought your father to, to see it, right? Yes. I, I'm happy you brought that up. Yes. My, my father did witness this UFO event with me. Okay. Uh, I screamed for him. My little 12 year old squeals. Uh, he came out of the motel we were staying at and he watched this triangle formation float over the river and head over towards Canada and disappear out of sight. Um, and it was, it was crazy. Alexis, I, 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 there's so much I don't remember about that night, but the things I do remember mostly were how I was feeling during all of this, uh, the silent nature of it all, and the look on my dad's face. 
I, I just remember looking up at him, hmm. pale as a ghost, white as a ghost, and speechless. He, he couldn't explain to me what I was looking at, what we were looking at. And to this day, he can't. And I still am no closer to knowing what we saw that night. But that was kind of my initiation, as I call interesting. it. This is one of the more interesting, the interesting, and let me find another adjective to use, but um, intriguing because, you know, Ryan, of all the UFO sightings, and by the way, it's said that there are, there's a sighting reported around the world every eight seconds, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Reported. I hope I'm right about that. It's either eight seconds or eight minutes. Nonetheless, it's a lot. It's still a lot. Yeah. But some of these sightings, I often wonder whether they are, whether we are just witnessing something or we are brought into a situation that we cannot recall. Now, you said something quite interesting. You said there's a lot that I'm sure I do not recall from that that night. That in and of itself would pique my interest as to, did something else happen? Because I also recall you saying, I believe this was in the film, shout out to Alan B. Smith from Half Light. You were featured in his documentary film, Excellent Half Light, that you were frightened after the experience and that you had nightmares after this experience. Have you ever thought about the idea that there may have been an abduction that happened that you don't recall? I've entertained the possibility. Uh, you know, I, I, in the work I do, I like to stay very grounded and objective about my personal experience and those of others as well. Um, that being said, like, yeah, there are literally gaps in my memory of that night. And whether that's just the way memory works, we know that our mind likes to fill things in or it only remembers certain aspects of events. Uh, but, you know, anything is possible. Uh, like I said, it felt like the event lasted maybe two minutes. Uh, but from what I remember, my dad was watching a Yankees game, a baseball game inside. The game was in like the second inning, I think, when I yelled for him to come outside. And I thought the event was like two, three minutes. We go inside. I'm just on the bed petrified of what had just happened. And I'm watching the game with him now. He's trying to calm my nerves. I was a baseball player. And he's like, just watch the game. Just watch the game. And it's like the seventh inning. Ah. And so, uh -oh. I mean, I don't know. And again, like there's many reasons for that. But um, but it's it's possible. I don't. I've never gone under, um, you know, regressive hypnosis or anything like that to try to fill in those gaps. Uh, but um, it's not something that I'm against, per se. Mm -hmm. I'm almost afraid to do it. I've had so many people come to me and say, I don't want to know what right. happened in those moments. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of my brutally honest answer well, to I appreciate that. that. I don't think I was, but who knows? Okay. That's understandable, Ryan. Thank you for sharing that. But you, when I said, ah, yeah, a little bit of an epiphany, perhaps, interestingly, we're going to be going over to the Patreon after show journeyers, and we are going to be talking about the idea of missing time, missing time, as well as some other sort of um, hallmarks to the abduction syndrome. And what you just said to me, uh, Ryan, intimates that there may have been some missing time. Uh, that's very telling. I'm not going to push you on this because I can tell it's, it's you know, this is, a, these are profoundly, uh, not obviously deep, but can be very disturbing when they're out of context, right? Anytime you have some, an experience like this. And I've talked to people that, uh, several that uh, were in tears as, as they were describing uh, what they recall of the encounter. So it's a still a very touchy thing. And yet, it's one of those things. I think I also heard you say in your podcast, great, Somewhere in the Skies podcast, I believe you were interviewing Mitch Horowitz, whom I love, love yes. his work. And in, somewhere in the in the course of the show, you had said something like, I've always been interested in these subjects and, and continued to be very uh, voracious about studying them. And yet there's a part of me that doesn't necessarily want to know everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'm more than willing to expand on that if you'd like. Um, yes. I, you know, I, I, I've been doing this for what I think is a long time. Um, maybe to a lot of other researchers out there it isn't. 
Uh, but I'm no closer to an answer to what UFOs are or aren't than I was when I was 12 or 13 years old. Uh, but I've kind of come to accept that and, and actually live in that mystery, in that frustration. You know, we, we, we live in a world now where there's so many advocates for disclosure. You know, what does the government know? When are they going to tell us what UFOs are? And personally, after interviewing intelligence officials and military people, and uh, I mean, even some very prominent political people I've interviewed as well off the record, and uh, they have no idea what's going on either, uh, to an extent. Uh, but that leads me to believe that there is not going to be that White House lawn sort of scenario where the leader of the United States comes out and says, you know, aliens are real. We've known it forever. We covered it up, but we can't any longer. I just don't see it happening. So for me, I enjoy living in that kind of gray area of not knowing what the phenomena is, uh, what it does to us. I think is most important. Like I mentioned before, I when I've interviewed these hundreds of people, it, it's cool. Like you saw a saucer shaped craft or, um, you know, you had a close encounter experience. All right. That's we'll unpack that eventually. What I want to know is how did this affect you? How did this impact you? Did it change your belief systems? Did it open something up? I remember one of the first people I talked to, uh, he had an orb sighting of like six orbs, which, also, we're near a body of water, similar to my own sighting. And um, after the event, he believed something was unlocked in his brain. Mm -hmm. And he started having these incredible artistic abilities that he never had before. He started seeing everything geometrically. And uh, that was the moment where I was like, yes, let's go. This is my ufology. I want to know how this affected you, how it changed you. And what that can tell us about ourselves Absolutely. and the family. Oh, yeah. I love it. I thank you so, so much. Again, I agree wholeheartedly. This really was the impetus for my getting involved, Ryan, in this work. And of course, we cover a spectrum of anomalous, uh, uh, you know, uh, parts of reality, I suppose you could say. But in terms of the U UFO uh, syndrome, the ET UFO phenomenon, it is to me first and foremost, about self-discovery. Self-discovery vis-a-vis these very enigmatic experiences that we just can't put our finger on. I also love the fact that you say, I'm okay with the mystery. Richard Feynman, the, the best, my, one of my favorite quotes, it does no harm to the mystery to know a little bit about it. But the, there's right. going to be that gray area. And I think we get into a little bit of hot water, if you will, when we for whatever reason, tether ourselves to a belief system and no matter what else is presented to us, we'll not untether ourselves. Uh, don't have a belief about it. Just be open and observe it because invariably the moment you decide that you have a, a, you know, settled on an opinion as to what this is, something will come along that'll just knock it down and you'll have to start yeah. all over again. So, wow. I love that. You have such a mature um, approach to this and you have to, because we're not talking about woo-woo guys. You know that. I'm talking to the journeyers. We're not talking about something that um, I think we spend far too much time reconciling the uh, the legitimacy of it. Mm -hmm. uh, th this rabbit hole is way too deep. You know, uh, there are layers upon layers upon layers. We know that there is a phenomenon. We just don't know what's underneath it, what's behind it, and the spectrum of it. How many alien species are we talking about? Mm -hmm. Is it interdimensional, extra dimensional? Are they walking alongside of us? Is it all of the above? What do you think? If you're enjoying this episode, along with all of the subjects that we cover here on Higher Journeys, then I invite you to join our members only community on Patreon, where we go even deeper into the conversations with the guests that you know and love. Not only does your membership ensure that we can keep this work going and growing, but you'll also get immediate access to our exclusive after shows. Get up close and personal with the guests of the show, along with many other member perks. So click on the link below to join now or visit higherjourneys.com where you'll find the Patreon link. We'll see you on the journey. Thanks.
You know, so, I mean, for most of my <laughs> ufological career, I guess you could call it, I wanted to be that advocate. I wanted to strive for government disclosure of the existence of an ET presence. And that was like my goal. And I realized how incredibly difficult that goal was and uh, unobtainable, to be completely honest. And then in 2017, the United States government officially acknowledged UFOs exist. Uh, there's a million questions after that, as you just asked me about. Um, and I will post some theories. Uh, but I think it's important that we've gotten to that point, that, you know, this one government that seems to think that they uh, speak for the entire world sometimes mm. uh, is saying UFOs exist. Uh, that's great. So done. Like, I don't have to worry about that anymore. We, we've, we've gotten past that. Now it's the harder questions. Like you've asked, what are they? Where do they come from? What do they want? And uh, again, I <laughs> UFOs are like snowflakes. Every single one is mm. unique in how they're described, how they how they uh, impact someone's life. Um, and I think there's many sources for these anomalous phenomena, mm -hmm. whether it's ET or interdimensional. Uh, my big one right now, and I'm all about it, and I'm really, and this is what I love about UFOs. Once you kind of attach to a theory, you can go down that rabbit hole and learn things you never, ever knew about. And for me right now, it's uh, time travelers, time travelers from the future. Mm -hmm. coming back mm -hmm. and that's just led me down an entire world of physics and time and space things that i would never have looked into mm. if it were not for ufos so um that's kind of where i'm at right now i'm leaning uh towards this idea of these could be from a different timeline um and not necessarily even us like humans but literally just running parallel to us in mm -hmm. either a different dimension or time and um, we're catching glimpses, and that's what these events are. We don't know what they are, but they're glimpses into something else. They're glimpses and, into uh, something else. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This has been talked about before. Um, as a matter of fact, I think you recently, just just like a day or so ago, with your your recent guest Kelly Chase. Is that Kelly Chase? Yes. She was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal conversation. I believe that came up in your conversation with her. This is something, Ryan, that uh, has been inclusive of the who are they discussion. Again, I my question is, is this not a spectrum, meaning that some of them very well could be time travelers from the future. We could be the time travelers as well. And they're getting I... a glimpse of us. Again, looking at this reciprocity or this symbiosis or some interconnectedness between homo sapien sapien and whatever they are is really to me the biggest the biggest question mm. um but you mentioned the idea of you know taking you down the rabbit hole when looking at looking at it from this approach of physics quantum physics particularly um interdimensional travel parallel realities the nature of time all of those things would have to come up in this type of a uh, investigation mm. what what, I don't know, epiphany might you have had in taking this approach to studying this, the aspect of uh, the possibility of time travelers from the future? Well, you know, and we always go to like the movies and what we've seen in entertainment when it comes to mm. time travel. And, and when you actually sit down and think about it, it is the ultimate paradox when you try to actually understand it, you just come up with more questions and more mm -hmm uh false positive sort of uh conclusions so i think with that interview you mentioned that i had with kelly chase what really blew my mind and this was not something i had ever really thought about is it might not even be from the future it could be time travelers from the past and that didn't really it it, it took me a minute to process that because i'm like well if we didn't have the technology in the past how are we doing it to get and and that's when mm. I got into this. I was up all night thinking about it, Alexis. To be honest, I'm like, wait, it really second. does love this subject, guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. God, sleep is not something <laughs> I know well. Um, it just my my mind raced all night, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it could be because time is not linear. 
it, yeah. it's a construct of what we have here on our planet and what we've decided sort of a consensus reality around that time is linear and it moves forward. But what if it doesn't, you know, then these things could be coming from any time, anywhere. Um, and that, that just got me more excited. Yeah. It shattered all the kind of thoughts and theories I had prior to that. Mm-hmm. But like you said, that's the beauty of it. Like that's you, the beauty of it. You Agreed. Take those pieces back up and you build it in a whole new light. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it, it's fascinating. It, it gets me clearly. It gets me excited. It's not just the caffeine. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's 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 excitement worthy. I guess you could say. I agree, and I'm I'm similar. Once you, once you look at the possibility of what is making this so, it always and invariably points back to the individual that's having the thought about, like you having the thought about the possibility and in interacting with whatever it is, reminds us we're infinite. Hmm. Just the fact that we can, to whatever degree, interact with something other than 3D reality, something is going on in us, something untapped, something consciously untapped that I also feel is probably one of the most important aspects of this whole this whole phenomenon. In looking at what this may be, we're really looking at ourselves. What are we capable of? How is it that I'm sure you've heard in in, uh, some abduction stories where individuals are taken literally from their room, the -hmm. beings will come into the room and they will take the witness through a wall and onto a craft invariably. Now there's a million different uh, uh, variations of that that, uh, scenario, but what is it about our makeup that we are able to, or they are able to, or we have the capability of dismantling ourselves from a cellular uh, structure to go through a wall, or are we really going through a wall? Mm. All of those things would make me say, wait a minute, if I did this, what else can I do with or without the presence of the beings? Your thoughts on that? that. Yes. Um, And you're bringing to mind, I think, one of the famous abduction cases for me, and that was the uh, Brooklyn Bridge abduction case of Linda Cortile. Um, Being a New Yorker, I know the case frontwards and backwards. And this was a woman who claimed she was literally floated out of her like 10-story walk-up apartment in the middle of New York City, in the middle of the night, floated over the Brooklyn Bridge, brought into a craft, and, and then sort of a typical abduction scenario plays out for her. Uh, And you bring up, I think, the key to it, is that actually happening? Was she in what we consider, you know, this real reality of feeling things? uh, Is that what is happening? Um, And you brought up the other word, consciousness. That is another thing I'm looking a lot into. I used to be a very nuts and bolts ufologist. And now after speaking to a lot of individuals who I know you've interviewed on your channel, uh, I'm very open to the idea that 99.9% of everything going on anomalous could be in the realm of consciousness, could be literally outside of the body. And that has led me down the rabbit holes of, you know, the work of a colleague of mine, Joshua Cutchin, who views UFOs as a death symbol. Many abductees. I'm sorry, as as a what? I'm sorry, a death symbol. Literally, these are vessels to what one might consider the afterlife Mm -hmm. or or something in that sort of realm. And um, some abductees have claimed to have seen their loved ones aboard a craft that have passed on. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what is that? So, it, it really, again, we could go in so many different directions, but I do honestly believe that this word consciousness, which we've yet to even begin to understand or scratch the surface of, could be the key to almost all of this. To all of it. And, uh, and, I, and we're getting closer to understanding what consciousness might be. Will we ever get there? I don't know. Might just be like UFOs. Uh, we may never know the answer. But um, yeah, it, it's these conversations that really uh, keep me going, keep me, me up too. at night. Me too, <laughs> Ryan Sprague. Me too. The consciousness, as I said to Nassim Harriman, who obviously is a, a adept at uh, studying consciousness from a quantum perspective, it's not what consciousness is. It's what isn't consciousness is how mm. I've 
perhaps oversimplified it. What isn't, you know, um, let's talk about the afterlife and, and, and drawing that nexus between the afterlife and non-human intelligence from an alien perspective. Whitley Strieber, who you've also had on your show, I've had on quite a few times. I consider Whitley a dear friend, really uh, has, has uh, put together a thesis that he feels that there is clearly a connection between the afterlife realms and the, uh, what he calls the visitors. Uh, I don't know if you covered that on uh, your recent episode with him, but just thoughts on that. You just kind of touched on that. Um, that's a very intriguing concept to me. Again, because we humans tend to want things in nice, neat little silos or boxes and, you know, afterlife is over here, the ET phenomenon is over here, ghosts are over here. And yet there seems to be this ubiquitous link through them all. Let's just talk about that for a minute. What, sure. what, you know, and, and consciousness at the, at the heart of it, of course. Yeah. I, and yes, I did ask Whitley uh, recently on my show. It was my first time interviewing him. I was so nervous. Like, you know, you? this stuff oh. never gets easier. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, it's my first time interviewing like this guy whose book is so iconic in the field. Course, yeah. um, and I had a million questions for him, but I, you only have so much time. Uh, but as he was talking about the passing of his wife, and mm -hmm. um, and you can tell how deeply that loss has affected him, as it does many people when they lose a loved one, especially clearly someone he loves so much um, and depended on emotionally in, in a good in a good way. Um, he lost a part of himself mm -hmm. and he literally says, you know, the love we had was one soul and that. Oh God, that just like almost brought me to tears when he mm -hmm. said that. And he lost a part of his soul. Uh, what in the moment, and I wasn't sure if I should ask him or not, um, but he was more than willing to answer. I asked him straight up, like, do you think the visitors who have been uh, taking you your whole life or uh, interacting with you, do they have anything to do with your wife's passing? Are they involved with because he has gone on record in saying that Anne has come back to him in many, many different ways. Absolutely. Uh, again, another beautiful story he tells of days after she passed away, um, how she was able to communicate with him. Mm -hmm. I won't give it away here. Yeah. Um, he's, he's probably talked about it on our show. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> beautiful about story about yes. a moth. Yes. We won't the white get moths. into it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, um, oh, God, he has such a way with words. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he, you know, he just spilled his heart. And he said, absolutely, I can tell you for a fact that the visitors are connected. Mm -hmm. And that's when we really got into that realm of uh, it's all connected. It's all connected. Like, this is, I'm in this vessel right now. You're in your vessel. And eventually that ceases to be. But something moves on. It has to. And as someone who kind of grew up uh, Roman Catholic, you know, I had this very kind of straightforward idea of death, go to heaven, and that's mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, now, and, and that wasn't comforting for me uh, growing up, being in that religion and hearing that. Um, you know, I, I'm still spiritual, but I, I don't let it run my life in many respects. Uh, that being said, death has always scared me, as it does many people. Uh, but hearing things like what Whitley has said and, um, you know, other individuals who have looked into consciousness it's only the beginning. Death is not the end of anything. It's literally the beginning of the next chapter. And that for me is all I needed to hear. Uh, Whitley has said he knows Anne is still there. Um, yeah, granted, he can't wake up right next to her every day like he did for so long. But that's just the way life is. But he takes comfort in knowing she's always there in some way. And that these visitors can somehow still communicate with us, mm -hmm. albeit in very strange ways sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, welcome to the world of the anomalous. It's not as simple as just you and I having a conversation like we are right now. Absolutely. Uh, we're literally crossing space and time to still connect to something that we don't even understand. That yet. we don't even understand, or at least consciously don't recall. Exactly. There's yet another rabbit hole we could go down. Yeah. Ryan, what is the strangest account you've ever heard? Oh, wow. Uh, there's 
obviously a few I could mention, but um, there's one that always kind of comes to mind for me. And it happened to a woman named Patty uh, in Michigan. And this is back in the mid 2000s. And I actually, I've interviewed her several times now about the case that's still ongoing. Um, it's still happening. She's still having strange experiences, but it all started with the black triangle, uh, very similar to what I had seen. And she saw this over her home, very low, silent, and just hovered there. And uh, she yelled for her daughter to come outside and see this with her. She was about to go walk her dogs. Dogs were acting weird. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't leave the porch. And um, then she knew why. There was a UFO above the house. So yells for the daughter to come out. The daughter comes out and actually sees this UFO with the mother. And uh, this is where it gets awesome, uh, in my opinion. They're staring up at the UFO. And the mother is kind of describing to the daughter what she's seeing. And she said, my God, it's like, it's perfectly white. And it's, oh, it's like angelic. I, it feels amazing. I feel euphoric. Like what, what do you, how do you feel? How do you feel? And she looks over at the daughter and the daughter is on the ground in the fetal position, covering her ears and saying how unbearably loud this triangle was above them. Whereas the mom said it was completely silent. The mom said it was burning white. It was beautiful. The daughter's on the ground saying it's slick black. It's making so much noise. It's here to kill us. And she's petrified, like literally paralyzed on the ground from it. So. That's what I was like, hold up, wait, okay. You're looking at the same thing. Right. But your perception of reality in that moment at looking at this anomalous craft was completely different. And that and that was just the beginning, Alexis. They eventually had like poltergeist activity in their mm. home, mm -hmm. shadow people, mm. uh, abductions. Everything you could think of was happening to this poor family after this sort of triangular UFO initiation. Initiation and, um, is a perfect word. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was just, I'm still working with her. It, it's okay. very traumatic for her. The daughters don't want to talk about it anymore. They've kind of um, moved on with their lives. And honestly, and I know this is something we'll talk about on your Patreon, they've almost denied and rejected the entire string of events. Yeah. It's common. Where the mother has uh, embraced it. Yeah. So. Crazy, crazy case. Oh, thank you for sharing that with us and, and uh, continued success in working with them. Th these are things thank that you. there are so many layers to peel back and so many revelations on the part of yourself, who's sort of the researcher on this, as well as the epiphanies I'm sure the family is having as they work with you. But, yeah. you know, the this idea, just drawing this this juxtaposition of the mother's experience versus the daughter's experience and the, the fact that they were so dark, they're so different, really speaks to the subjective nature of these encounters. And that's why, you know, yeah. when you look at researchers, and I'm going to name a couple of names, but I, I, I do it in uh, with, uh, with the utmost respect, when you juxtapose researchers in the work of, say, uh, the late Bud Hopkins or David Jacobs, as opposed to John Mack and, uh, and others, and how they're their deduction of what the phenomenon is. It's either all bad or all good. It's, you know, we have to be so careful in making that, uh, that proclamation about a phenomenon that is so literally multidimensional and interpersonal. Yeah. This is a perfect example that illustrates that. How, you know, they're seeing, feeling, and reacting completely different. So what is the phenomenon? And again, what does our own consciousness have to do with not only uh, how we view the phenomenon, but even igniting it? What about that? Let's talk about that for a minute, Ryan. Could we have something to do with the experiences that we're having? Absolutely. Uh, there's two individuals who I would highly suggest your viewers and listeners uh, look into the work of. Uh, that's Susan Demeter St. Clair. And uh, Greg Bishop, two amazing UFO researchers. Susan has looked a lot into the parapsychological aspect to the phenomenon, where we are a big part of this. Literally, you know, so many people have said uh, something drew me to the window to look out my window and there was a UFO. Or something in the back of my mind said I have to go to this location and look up. 
and they do, and boom, something happens. Um, so many cases like that. I, you know, one I'm really thinking of right now, I spoke to a gentleman who worked out uh, in uh, out near Groom Lake, Area 51. Hmm. He was working at a pizza shop one night, and he's like mopping up at the end of the night, and something in his mind just said, I got to go out to Area 51 right now. Like no ifs, ands, or buts. I don't care if I get fired, whatever. I'm out of here. Drops the mop, gets in his car, goes out near the base and has a crazy dramatic UFO sighting occur. Um, and I think there is something to it. Greg, Greg Bishop, on the other hand, he has sort of coined this term, the co-creation mm. hypothesis, where we are literally having some sort of dance with these phenomena where they're leading sometimes, we're leading others. And you brought up a really good point earlier um, that that I think is key. And that is um, that, uh, and it's escaping my mind right now, the key thing you said, um, it'll come to me. <laughs> well, we talked about the symbiosis that I've always sensed there. there yes. Is. Yeah. Yes, the symbiosis to it all. Yes, I think that's what it is. You know, sometimes we lead... Sometimes they lead. Oh, I remember now what you said is sometimes the phenomena are just as surprised as we are that we're seeing them. That was it. That was the key. You hear that in the paranormal world as well. When someone yes. sees an apparition. Absolutely. Yes. They're, they're like, hold up. They're, they're just as surprised to see you as you are them. So again, right. it's not so much them coming into our lives as us coming into theirs as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, I think there is a very symbiotic relationship between these phenomena and us. And um, I think it changes all the time. And sometimes we're in control and sometimes they are. Uh, and all we can hope for are those small moments of convergence yeah. where we can communicate, where we can make contact. And uh, that could very well be through this idea of quantum mechanics, quantum physics, consciousness. And there's amazing people in the UFO field, nonetheless, mm -hmm. and the paranormal and parapsychological worlds looking into that stuff right now. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. When mainstream science won't touch this stuff, at least we have those rebellious people on the outside. And they're starting to, to touch it. But they are yeah. starting to touch it. Look at the work of Avi Loeb. I think you just mentioned him. I mean, that's, right. he's not right in that zone, but he's, he's, he's part of that mainstream academic uh, circle. Uh, we're, right. we're starting to see that happen. I have to ask you, we, we touched on 2017 because that was like a revelatory year and kind of opened up a slight Pandora's box to a larger uh, portion of the population. But you also had this um, UAP congressional hearing back in May that I recently said to uh, my host uh, on the Proof is Out There, Tony Harris, was a whole bunch of nothing, <laughs> at least the part <laughs> that we were allowed to, to uh, take part in. But yeah. but what are you, what were your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the significance of that hearing? In other words, and I may be asking you a bit of a leading question because I felt that it was more not what they said, but the fact that they were saying it as a preparation question mark for something to come. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that? I mean, it was historic. There's really no arguing that we haven't had a congressional hearing involving UFOs for like. 50 years, Gerald Ford was the one to actually put into motion one back during the early Project Blue Book, excuse me, the later Project Blue Book days, because he was extremely unhappy with the conclusions that the U.S. Air Force was coming to when it came to a lot of these UFO cases, uh, primarily a case in Michigan where the infamous term swamp gas was coined by uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, and the town was pissed. They were so angry that this Air Force representative came in here, uh, albeit he wasn't part of the Air Force, he was an astronomer, but he spoke for the Air Force and said, you people all saw swamp gas. You didn't see a flying saucer. Um, and he, many years later, regretted coming up with that conclusion and has admitted that he was told to give them that conclusion. Whole other story. Um, but we have not had congressional hearings on this topic since then. Mm. And a lot of things made that congressional hearing recently happen. This leak about the secret Pentagon UFO program, about, you know, what we've learned in the past few years, uh, a pressure by both congressional members and the public, mind you. I think the public has a lot more to do with this uh, than Congress really? would let on. And okay. um, and I honestly thought, yeah, I, I think the congressional hearings 
while yes, I agree, they were um, nothing revelatory happened in terms of what they said. Uh, it was the fact that they were having this conversation. And not only that, and this is what alarmed me, Alexis, so many times during those hearings, the congressional members knew infinitely more than the actual people in charge of these UFO investigations. I agree with you. I agree with you. I recall that. Yeah. Saying nothing was possibly the worst thing they could have done. Yeah. And that's what they did. So I think you're right. I think that was kind of, they were put on the hot seat. They had to answer somehow. And I think they, they failed miserably. And I think that's going to lead to more hearings. That's going to lead to more. And, um, I got to be careful how I phrase this. I don't condone leaks in terms of like military people, like whistleblowing and all that. I'm not like a huge advocate of that, mm -hmm. but it is a natural part of the way our country works and the way that uh, this relationship occurs between our government and its people. Mm -hmm. When they will not tell us things, when they will not be transparent, this is when people within government get angry and upset and will leak things to the public. And it's I think natural. that's been happening all along. That's very well. Absolutely. Said. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to see. I think a lot of these Congress people are pissed. And these military pilots who were told they were crazy or not to report these things. Now they're like, I'm doing it. Like they feel yeah. empowered now because of everything that's happened. Right. So. Yeah, while, while a lot of nothing burgers may have happened during that that congressional hearing, I think more than anything, it showed that the public is interested in this. Congress is interested, and uh, that could lead to some really, really cool stuff, or maybe sombering, sober things. I, I, don't, know. I don't know, or both, or both. Yeah. probably both. You talk about the individuals, the military pilots. Of course, my mind goes to Kevin Day who was part of, yes. uh, you know, th this whole Pandora's box opening back in 2017. I've had him on the show as well. And out of all the people that were witnesses, he's been quite outspoken and has really been uh, transparent in talking about his own experience associated with it. And the aftermath gets very emotional and angry uh, at the tight lipness, if that's a word, of the uh, military folk who said, don't talk about this. You know, what is it? Listen, this is one thing I definitely want to spend a few minutes on, and I'm trying to think of how to make it succinct. There has been this X factor, let's just say broadly, between experiencers and is it military and slash intelligence slash others here or humans that have been so clandestine, so uh, interrogating of some of these very innocent people that have had experiences, Terry Lovelace being one of them in his story of, uh, um, of Devil's Den. What, what is that? Where, there is this really, really big gap in, I'm trying to understand and get my arms around the fact that these folks, military, intelligence, et cetera, are putting these mandates of don't say anything. Well, why not? That means you obviously have skin in the game too. You know a heck of a lot more, but to what extent and why are they so fervent in, in, in this no talk mandate, which is one of the things we're going to talk about in, over on Patreon coming from a different angle, but what gives there? That to me is very perplexing. Do you, did I, yeah. was I clear on how I asked? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, I think what we're seeing is, um, and you can go back to the beginning of modern ufology with the Roswell UFO crash. Um, you know, the way that they intimidated individuals who yeah. were involved with that case uh, was frightening. I mean, telling 12 year old kids, we're going to kill your parents and put their bodies in the desert and you're never going to see him again if you ever talk about what you saw or what you were told. Um, that's just so dark. Yeah. And the school so, in South Africa, same thing. Same thing. Yeah. And, you know, there's, I think what we saw at the beginning of the quote-unquote cover-up was keeping the lid on not exactly what they know, but what they don't know. What they don't know. I mm -hmm. think we, we always... 
look at this romantic kind of cool X-Files way of looking at this thing that they know everything. It's this huge, very strategic cover. And it very well, very well might be. I, I can't pretend to know the answer to that. But what I think we're seeing is not so much a cover-up of what they know. I think it's a cover-up of what they don't know. I don't think the U.S. government knows what the Tic Tac UFO was. I don't. I don't think they're any closer to knowing what it was. What they can do is control the information that gets out to the public. Mm -hmm. And what they can do is pump that ridicule factor into the men and women. That is definitely a strategy. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. And, and that's what we saw throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s with Project Blue Book. It was literally a campaign to discredit witnesses and debunk the cases. Yeah. What we're seeing now is slightly different. And, and that is actually pretty promising to me. We're now seeing, and we do have people like Kevin Day, Gary Voorhees, um, Alex Dietrich, Commander Fravor, all these people involved with these Navy UFO events. We have them to thank for taking that chance and coming forward and taking the ridicule that came with that. I mean, for Kevin, it ruined his life. Like he didn't talk about this. He had PTSD from this event, ruined everything until that day when Commander Fravor was on CNN or or Fox right there on the screen saying this event happened. It was real. That changed everything for Kevin. Now he could talk about it. Now it was okay. Everyone knew he wasn't crazy. And we're seeing that play out. I can't tell you after all those events occurred, after Kevin went on the record and the pilots and um, even the former head of the UFO investigation unit, Luis Elizondo, have all come forward and said, this stuff is real. We don't know what it is. We tried. We don't know what it is. Uh, Something changed. And now every day, Military people are reaching out to me, to you, to other people out there, journalists, podcasters, and saying, I saw something. Mm-hmm. I couldn't talk about it then. I want to talk about it now. And look, it may not get us closer to actually what the stuff was, but that's one more person that now feels comfortable and feels vindicated. And feels vindicated. I'm glad you brought that up. That's so yeah. important. Well, you know, look, again, going all the way back to the beginning of the conversation where you were really emphasizing the importance of the human the human aspect to this phenomenon, how we're involved, to what extent, and what we can glean from it. It's the same thing here. Feeling vindicated. I can't tell you how many individuals, well, I, I can because you, you're hearing from them too, I'm sure, excuse me, experiencers who are emailing me, Alexis, I can't share this with anyone, but no one will hear what I'm saying because I'm sure I will be ridiculed for it. But here's what happened to me. Then you have people that kind of look like me in the African-American community, you know, full disclosure. There are a lot of people who feel inhibited because, you know, Black people don't talk about this. I mean, I'm being really frank and honest. This is who I'm hearing from, not just, but that's included. Our cultural overlay has really usurped our ability to explore this with full transparency. It has inhibited. I just met someone, if if I may, just, just go into it a little bit. Just the other day at a retail yeah, store, I won't mention the store and I won't mention her name. We'll call her Lisa. I like to call all of my anonymous people Lisa or Michael. <laughs> Lisa, who... Uh, I was shopping for some holiday stuff. One thing led to another and she ended up finding out that I, I'm a journalist in this field. And she literally <laughs> just about broke down in tears at, in excitement to be able to talk to me about some of these things. We were in aisle number 110. She says the store is haunted too, by the, by the way, but that's another story entirely. <laughs> and probably spent a good hour, me listening to her tell the stories that she could not share with anyone else. I'm running into people all the time. To me, this is where the meat and potatoes of all of this lies, is really getting people to a comfort level where they can share, they can, even if it's just talking to one person. Ryan, I've had people come to me saying they want to take themselves out. They want to die. Because they cannot, they're 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 more concerned with the blowback of sharing the experience than the experience them, itself. More frightened of that. That's what we're dealing with here. So we've got yeah. to get down to this elephant in the room, and the ridicule uh, agenda has been really damaging. That has been ubiquitous in our modern history. 
still, you know, the giggle factor, that's got to stop because there are people whose lives are on the line right now uh, because of that. Sorry, had to go there a little bit. No, (laughs) I'm so happy you did. There's a cultural and sociological aspect to all of this. And and it's been there for a long time. You, You look at any minority, so literally anyone that does not look like me, um, are deathly afraid to talk about these things. And that's that's been the way it's been for a very long time. Anyone who has suffered any sort of oppression, uh, racism, um, anything, anything of that sort, obviously isn't going to take the chance to come forward and talk about their UFO event like someone like me would. Um, as a quote-unquote uh, straight white male, I have that luxury. And that's not lost on me. So all I can do as an ally to any type of minority is to give them that opportunity, give them that platform and the choice to come forward if they want to in a safe place. And that's what I do with my show. I mean, I, I invite anyone to come on and just tell their story. And I can't tell you, like, in the past few years, how many um, younger people have come forward, how many people of color, how many people of different races, creeds, sexualities um, have come forward to tell their stories. And it wasn't like that before. Mm. It was just literally people who looked like me. And I think there's something very telling about that. And, And it says more about the world in general than just in the UFO community. But let's face it, like for many, many years, the UFO community was me. Isolated, and, yeah. White and males. I, yeah. yeah. And it's refreshing and exciting to see that changing and to see more individuals of color coming forward and being willing to talk about this. And um, I love it. I, I love that finally everyone can be a part of the conversation. We have a long way to go. We have a long, I was going to say, we still me. have a long way to go. Yes. Very long way to go. Indeed. But yeah. I just hope that people like me who have a platform uh, can use that for good and use that to help more people feel empowered to come forward. Because honestly, every story has value. I don't care who you are, what you believe in, who you uh, choose to love, what color you are. Like you experience something literally outside the realm of what should be. And everyone can relate to that in some way or fashion. And that's only going to bring us closer, I think, than separate us. Agreed. Beautifully said. You're doing great work, my friend. And somehow, maybe not in our lifetimes, maybe, uh, but we're going to make a dent in this that's going to change the face of humanity, not just this field, but humanity itself uh, for, for many, many years to come. Tell us very briefly about your book by the same name, Somewhere in the Skies. Let me look at the subtitle because it's. I think the subtitle says it all. Let me just get this right. Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon. Thank you. Um, it was, you know, many years in the making. I've had two editions at this point. Um, but it is a book where I traveled across the world, actually, and interviewed people in all walks of life about their UFO experiences. Um, And it also was a personal journey for me. So you kind of see my journey as all these other journeys unfold in the book. Um, So you can find it anywhere you get your books, Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble. It's ebook, it's audiobook as well, and and in print. And um, yeah, I, I just hope people will give it a read. I can't tell you how many people reached out to me after reading it and again, felt empowered to come forward. So I've got another book coming, obviously you do (laughs) in response to that. And um, yeah, yeah. I hope people will dig it and take something from it. If that's my contribution to the field. um, Great. I feel like I've done something. (laughs) You've done something. All right, my friend, you've done something. You're doing it. You're doing it. Good. Continue Godspeed to you. Everyone go to, is it somewhere in the skies.com? So, Everyone can That's get access correct. to everything, including the podcast, right? Everything's okay. there. Yeah. I love it. Somewhere in the skies.com. Of course, we'll have a link to the book, to the website, to the podcast. He's got a whole lot of stuff going on to ancient aliens, all of it. <laughs> right <laughs> now, you. though, we're going over to Patreon. I want you guys to join us over there. We are going to be drilling down a little bit on this missing time phenomenon is associated with, a, let's call it a classic uh, alien abduction 
uh, we're also going to be talking about, and I think we touched on this too very briefly uh, in today's uh, episode, the what I'm calling the no talk mandate. Family members or you know multiple witnesses where maybe one or more will say, I refuse to even acknowledge that this happened. And if you say anything to me, I'll deny it. Or if you, if you speak about it, I'll deny it. What's that all about? We're going to be digging into that a little bit more over on the after show on Patreon. So I hope you guys will join us over there. But in the meantime, Ryan Sprague, I hope this is not the last time you show up on Higher Journeys because we got more to talk about, dude. <laughs> so much more. I'd be honored to come back. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me today. And thank you, Journeyers, as always. We appreciate you. We love you. And we'll see you next time on Higher Journeys.